When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the first episode of Star Wars Untold Stories, a new podcast by Entertainment Weekly covering the world of Star Wars. I'm editor-at-large James Hibbard, and I'm here with EW critic Darren Franich, and we're about to discuss the first episode of The Mandalorian. And hopefully our podcast won't have nearly as many technical problems as the launch of Disney Plus today. The, the streaming service went online early hours of the morning as been plagued by glitches and crashes. I don't know, to me, that seems pretty expected. Uh, I actually wrote like half of a story about this yesterday just in anticipation of filing the rest and posting it this morning because I was so convinced that there's just no way that this was going to go smoothly. Yeah, I have to agree. It seems like a positive thing if enough people are immediately utilizing a service in the very wee hours of the morning um, that it, that it crashes a little bit. James, I somehow this never happens for me with new things that I'm excited about, but I somehow managed to sign up for Disney Plus at like just the right time, where I watched uh, The Mandalorian even before midnight Pacific time. Um, so I, I I kind of watched it, wrote the review, and then woke up today being like, oh, I guess there were glitches <laughs> somewhere, which it. It's, it's funny to see that that kind of happened just as people across the country were sort of all signing in. D- did you experience any issues with your Disney Plus stuff? Yeah, I mean, I had a couple error messages and I just just redid it and and that popped up fine and um, and then went on to Twitter and, and saw all, all the madness. And you did not go on Twitter. Well, this is the thing. And you did not immediately go on Twitter and say an error message by God. Is this just because of our age, James, that we're kind of used to? Like, I had whole, like, unsaved Star Wars video games that, that would end with an error message. Like, this is not something that, that tends to rub me the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's like Tuesday morning. It, it's, it's, it's like, you know, how ruined is your life, really, if, if this isn't working immediately, something that you didn't have previously <laughs> that you will now have moving forward you know it's fine it's fine you know it's uh you know and 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 for disney i mean honestly i mean i don't know how they react internally to this but uh i can only imagine that you know if they're smart about it they're like this is great you know everybody's talking about wanting to be on our service it's like it's like man you know that 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 darn restaurant you know it's you know i can't get a reservation i want to go so bad you know it's like uh it's everybody knows this is not going to be the way it's going to be on an average day moving forward. And uh, it just kind of illustrates the amount of demand. That yeah, I, I Disney has kind of a you can't beat City Hall vibe to it in general when it comes to a lot of things recently. Um, so I, I can't imagine they're too concerned about this. Um, but, James, uh, you know, you've been kind of deep into the Mandalorian for a while now. Um, you know, you wrote a, a, a great uh, cover story about the Mandalorian for Entertainment Weekly um, and you've been kind of reporting on it. Um, but you claimed to me you had not seen the episode before it launched, uh, and, and you've lied to me before in the context of Game of Thrones, um, but, uh, you know, broad thoughts about the episode, uh, you know, finally seeing it after kind of being deep in, in this world already for a while. 
all my lies were just to protect your viewing experience, Darren. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, there was all like benevolent things, you know, trying to think of what will make you happiest moving forward. Um, but, uh, isn't that what the bad guys I, on Lost you, you used to say? That seems pretty, pretty accurate. So thank you. Thank you, Demi Godfigure, for, for controlling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm only killing off half the population for the environment, Darren. I mean, it's come on. It's, 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 it's for the betterment Snap. of man. Um, yeah, so snap. Uh, I um I saw about a half hour of clips uh, that included about half of this episode, and they definitely didn't include, I think, kind of the weakest moments from the first episode in those clips. So you know, a lot of the early first blush reviews that that sort of came out uh, from from members of the media that saw the clips. I mean, they were sort of kind of cherry picking scenes a bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I overall liked it. I think I, I liked it a bit better than, than, than you did, uh, based on your review that's on EW.com right now. If anyone wants to check that out. Um, you know, I really like Pedro Pascal's laconic line delivery. I like the classic way it shot. The IG 11 murder bot was cool. Um, overall, I've. I, I was in. You, you know, uh, we should say that Pedro Pascal is playing the, the main character, the Mandalorian, um, who is not Boba Fett, um, even though his kind of whole iconography is very much inspired by Boba Fett. Um, we got just a little bit of his backstory. He is a bounty hunter like Boba Fett was, but, um, you know, he does have what seemed to me like some interesting stuff mixed in with some stuff that felt a little familiar. He is kind of tied in with um, this kind of seemingly diaspora for a tribe of people. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but I, I really like Pedro Pascal. It's weird to me, James, that there are now like two of the most charming people who were ever on Game of Thrones have joined the Star Wars universe to wear helmets all the time. Um, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, you've kind of mentioned this in your writing. I have to imagine that's not going to be the case for him for the entire run of this eight episode season. Um, but I, I agree. I, I liked his line delivery. I felt like he kind of gave just a little edge of sadness to stuff that was like pretty pretty much gruff talk you know this was kind of like you know i could take you in hot or i could take you in cold like that felt a little um you know a little wannabe badass to me um but i, I am intrigued by him I, I guess to me my problems with, with the episode were those scenes in between you're talking about that were probably not reflected in the exciting preview edition of this um it felt like it dragged quite a bit it, it seemed like it really wanted to be a western i remember you mentioning in your cover story i think that the milieu of the mandalorian is really meant to conjure up kind of specifically the early and like Tatooine level stuff in the original trilogy, um, which I do tend to really, really like that stuff. And I, I like the idea of kind of setting a whole Star Wars saga there. Um, but something was a little bit lacking for me. Maybe some of it was just that a lot of the techno talk in The Mandalorian, uh, like at one point, Ritter Herzog said he was going to give someone a fob, which seemed to kind of break the universe a little bit for me. <laughs> but, but, but it, it, it was... Two-factor authentication is very apparently, important for security purposes in the bounty hunting world. Apparently there. it is. Uh, but, but it was Werner Herzog saying it. Um, uh, how did you kind of feel about some of the characters that we saw on... It sort of felt like we had like a mini adventure at the start, and then the start of the larger story was kind of the second half of, of, the, of the episode. Is that kind of a fair read on uh, what we saw in, in this premiere? Well, one of the things I was surprised by is when it came up on screen, I did the quick check to see how long it was, and it was like 39 minutes long. I can't remember the last time 
a major drama series launched with a pilot that short. Um, and I like that they are holding back so many of their series regular characters for future reveals. Um, you know, we didn't see uh, Cara Dune, who's played by uh, uh, Gina Carano. Uh, you know, we didn't see uh, Moff Gideon, um, you know, the former um, uh, 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 Galactic Empire uh, uh, governor who's played by Giancarlo Esposito. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people yet to be introduced. So I thought it was smart that they just spent, you know, took their time to sort of introduce this one guy. You know, I was a little bit disappointed in the mid uh, episode reveal that he's like, you know, donating to this displaced Mandalorian yeah. charity. You know, it, it, it seems a bit early to reveal him as a killer with a heart of gold and which kind of nukes the most obvious, you know, arc for him to go, you know, to go from this kind of colder person to this more, more, more caring person, which is the obvious sort of route to take. It's, it's, it almost seemed like the show was super eager to assure you he's, he's a good guy. I think that's the stuff um, that I really struggled with. It's funny hearing you say that because you kind of had in the first act, um, you know, this attempt at a real man with no name set up. Just this guy who's very laconic, who walks into a tavern and kills lots of people, literally cuts one person in half, um, and then, you know, gets a ride with somebody and the guy giving him a ride dies and the person that he's capturing, he immediately freezes in carbonite. And it's all these kind of signifiers of, you know, here's someone who, you know, is a loner, is a lone wolf, is doing his cool thing. And I, I guess that... Um, if you buy what this show is selling in the first episode, then you're kind of like, oh, but there's more complexity to him than that. As you said, like, you know, he is seemingly gathering all these bounties. He's a bounty hunter, which is like kind of classically a sort of cool wrong side of almost the wrong side of the law kind of a job. Um, but he's doing it for the right reasons. He literally says that he was a foundling once. He's doing it for the foundlings, which sounds a lot like younglings, which is a little disturbing in the context of, of Star Wars <laughs> lore. Um, but yeah, for me, it just felt a little bit like they were trying to kind of have it both ways. Um, you know, I, I acknowledge that, like, I come at this from the perspective of someone who, in, like, the 1990s, there was a lot of Boba Fett-adjacent uh, comics and books and video games and everything that could kind of own the darker sides of that of this milieu a little more than I think this show is. Um, it, by which I mean none of those ended with Boba Fett or a Boba Fett type uh, shooting another bounty hunter to rescue a baby, which we should maybe talk about. I, that's a spoiler, I guess, but that's the other kind of big talking point after that first episode, right? Is, is the last few minutes of, uh, of the show. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, you know, before we get to that, I want to get to one of your criticisms in your review that was right there in the headline that I've been like very eager to sort of talk to you about all morning. And that is, is that you describe it as ultra violent as like, like an, like an ultra violent trying, trying to be family friendly fair. And I didn't, Think it was ultra violent at all, so I'm sort of curious, you know, where you. Well, sort of James, got to that. you know, uh, I'm a new father, so I think a lot more about violence than I probably used to uh, when I was watching. I did I was, about what I was watching and uh, and and rewatching uh, old spaghetti westerns. But the truth is, I still really like violence when it's done in an interesting way. Uh, my, my wife and I, one of the last movies we saw before a kid arrived was John Wick Three, and we've not stopped talking about it since. My issue with this was it felt like. It was doing all these moves that were ultra violent. This is a guy who has, who, in the first episode, as you said, a short pilot, he walks into two different places and kills a whole lot of people. Um, and it's just done 
in this extremely bloodless way that's kind of bloodless even in the context of the franchise um you know I, i've been kind of rewatching the original trilogy and you know i i, I, I don't i don't think the original trilogy is like a, 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 pro, a major meditation on violence and warfare but you know there's stuff like when obi-wan kenobi cuts off a guy's arm it's bloody and it's a little bit of the you know there's both yeah. there's both the consequence of the violence and the kind of catharsis of it um and the excitement of it as well and this to me just felt like it was really trying to be like look at this guy he's going and shooting all kinds of people the first five minutes he cuts one of the squid aliens in half um but also he loves babies he's doing it for the kids and it's something about that the sort of pg-14 nature of the ultra violence hmm. um that kind of rubbed me a little wrong and again like you know just by comparison um there's a version of this story, I think, that would not be made by Disney that can kind of own that stuff. I mean, you know, the final act, I think, was very explicitly a, a slight homage to the original Django by Sergio uh, Corbucci. Of course, a film that looms large in the context of all Mandalorian stuff, because Boba Fett's dad w uh, wound up being named Django. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with that that movie is extremely violent, extremely fun, and kind of can do the visceral thrills. And this one, it just seemed like it can't do the visceral stuff. It just has this empty violence going on mixed with a kind of family-friendly quality. And that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Um, I acknowledge I might be okay. overthinking it, but, you know, it makes me worried in the context of where the show is going if this is kind of the starting point. Um, so I, 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 I struggled a little bit with that. I will say also, it was just kind of a gray and grim episode of television. Uh, it didn't really feel to me like it had much visual flair, um, which I know you were kind of saying that you felt like it actually had kind of a cool vibe to it or, or, or that it was kind of doing something interesting with this material. Well, you, I mean, if, first of all, if I, I, I now understand better about what you meant by ultraviolence because you know, the first thing I thought of is Obi-Wan cutting off the guy's arm and that was all bloody and graphic. And, you know, of course, uh, extra crispy Uncle Ben and, and Brew barbecue <laughs> scene, you know, which, 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 which was horrifying, you know, and, and, and that was in a movie that, that was, that was what, like, like, like yeah. PG rated ba basically. So, so to me, you know, just lots of space laser, you know, bloodless space la laser stuff. Um, you know, even Darth Maul getting cut in half was like more graphic than this one person being cut in half because that was at least on camera. Um, but I understand what you're saying in terms of, well, you know, the responsibility of doing it, that sort of like high bloodless body count combined with the sort of, you know, family friendly vibes that that it feels like a bit of a, a a violence cheat in a way it feels like it to me again um you know i am intrigued to see where this show goes from here because as you said the end of the episode seems to imply that that the, the, it, the, the change that you'd expect at the end of the story may have happened and at like the you know at the eighth point of the story um which right, which right. could imply yeah. that you know there may be a difference in that going forward yeah yeah i mean uh, uh werner hertz Annunciations were to me probably the most violent thing in the episode. I mean, that was pretty. <laughs> I, I was I was pretty feeling pretty you know beat up by the end. Bounty, of, bounty of, of, of hunters, bounty hunters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say too, um, as far as just kind of greater Star Wars universe stuff for me, um, you know. I'd love to know what people think about the kind of wealth of um, 
iconography that runs throughout the episode and burning salacious crumb and all that stuff. To me, the most interesting thing was um, when you when you're kind of following the Mandalorian into this mysterious room where he's going to get his new job, and the first thing you see are a bunch of stormtroopers who kind of look like they're the pig pen from Peanuts equivalent of stormtroopers. They're just kind of messy and a little pitiful. Um, and you know, the, well, I assume that that they've turned uh, they've turned like uh, um, uh, mercenaries for hire now. So 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 they're still wearing their old uniforms, but they're not, you know, actually stormtroopers. I thought that was just kind of interesting because, um, you know, in the new movies, you kind of have the First Order, which is basically the Empire by any other name. And, you know, it doesn't seem to me like there's much difference between that and the Empire of the original trilogy. Um, it's interesting that this is kind of very much set in this time of stormtroopers are now mercenaries. They're kind of a little bit more on the run. They're a little bit more secretive. I thought that was an interesting thing to play around with in the context of this show kind of bridging the gap between the trilogies. Okay, so we should talk about the uh, the the Yoda baby scene. Um, What's your interpretation of that Yoda baby? Is it is it Yoda's baby? Is it? <laughs> I mean, that brings up the idea of you know the visual of like Yoda boning, which which I I, I just can't have in my head. I mean, it's just like Let's you know. It took us exactly fifteen minutes for someone to say Yoda boning. There we go. That's the kind of podcast that we're setting a tone for here. I mean, I <laughs> I, I assume that's just a member of his race. Not necessarily his child, because as we learn in prequels, Jedi don't necessarily. It's it's a rare thing for Jedi to have children. Um, yeah, maybe less yeah, rare I, as I the mean, franchise goes along. <laughs> Leo Lucas ha, has said before that he wanted to keep um, Yoda's backstory uh, a mystery that he didn't want to ruin something magical by over explaining it. Cough, midichlorians cough. So you know <laughs> there there's not a lot out there about the Yoda species. You know there have been a couple other examples uh, of them along the way, and um, obviously Yoda died at 900 years old in Return of the Jedi, which predates this series. So you know it's it's unclear. I would I would be you know maybe it's it's a family member or, or not. Um, you know it's 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 a bit unclear. And uh, you know and also the client said the 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 target was fifty years old. And if the Yoda baby is fifty years old and still helpless and has to be carried and swaddled, I would think that that would be such a torturous existence. <laughs> you know, there, there's something sort of black Marian about that <laughs> about a fifty year old that still is is like bound by like a childlike body. Yeah, um, well, that was very that was a very interesting thing to throw out there. This idea of like, um, I mean, you know, if because when Yoda said he was X hundred years old, you assumed, oh, well, you've you've been an adult for most of that time, and it's an interesting new revelation. Like, oh, I guess actually your age just kind of works in a much slower capacity. So yeah, your first fifty years must be really exciting for your parents. Um, you know, James, I, I have to point out that there was a trading card. I think it was a trading card or maybe a magazine cover back in the 90s. Okay, I'm looking for it right now. Um, that like showed like a temple of the Yoda race, which was like the only, you know, at a time when like, you know, you were sort of saying, oh, what is it isn't canonical. This was kind of the one thing that was like, whoa, like, were all the Yodas force positive? Were they all kind of like mystical like him? Um, and I'm intrigued to see if that also becomes a part of the Yoda baby story. Um, you know, one thing I'm always kind of frustrated about with new Star Wars stories is there's always this idea of like, we're going to do a story that's not about the Force and then ultimately kind of becomes about the Force. I was a little more intrigued by the possibility that, you know, 
the Mandalorian, our main unnamed character. Do we have a nickname for him yet? Is he just... Uh, I mean, just Mando, Mando. You know, at the moment. Well, but okay, I, you say that. I, that sounded like an epithet to me, the way the guys in the tavern said it to him. So I was a little nervous about just kind of throwing that around. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I mean, that's what they call them on on, on the set. You know, gotcha. Is, uh, so, so, Mando. so I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily negative. M- M- Mando Dalrissian. Um, uh, it, w- w- it's interesting that, you know, you set up the idea of him being a part of a, again, very unclear what you saw flashbacks to him as a kid, clearly suffering through some terrible kind of purge. Um, seems to be the idea of kind of playing around with a lot of refugee stuff in the midst of the, the Star Wars universe. I was wondering if like that might be what's going on with the Yoda baby. There's kind of a children of men thing, like a lot of people trying to find him. Is it a rare species? Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm like very intrigued by that. You know, any kind of children of men uh, adjacent narrative is definitely kind of interesting. Um, so we're concluding I, not Yoda's kid is, is our current hot theory. I, I mean, about this. you know, m- maybe some Yoda nephew or, or, or something. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. You, you not know, all Yodas um, are, are, are related, James. <laughs> <laughs> You know, another question that I had, um, you know, if all those people that Mando killed were protecting Yoda's baby, did he just murder a bunch of good guys in that sequence? Well, there is no spoon, right? Yeah, it's a little it's a little unclear, right? Um, that sequence, I will say also, I just thought it was kind of shoddy action filmmaking. I mean, I know the director of this episode, uh, Dave Filoni, did a couple of really great uh, Star Wars animated shows. I'm really intrigued because there are some good directors kind of lined up for this first season. Um, but, uh, you know, outside of the staging, to me, the best kind of visual effects of this episode were uh, the IG droid that you mentioned. I thought that was just kind of, I mean, again, using a droid who has kind of lived in Star Wars lore for a long time, but just the, the sort of effect of the way it was turning its limbs around to shoot all of the guys. Um, I thought that was an interesting, a nifty twist. Some of the monster stuff I was kind of less invested in, but th- that kind of gave yeah. me some hope that there's some interesting stuff kind of happening on the digital side here. Yeah, in, in general, the the the, C, the CG was was quite good. I mean, it, I mean, it was it was pretty rare that I was like distracted by it, and you know, for a television show to do that. Um, I mean, there, there's a reason why this is the first live action Star Wars show. And it's not that it's the first time anybody ever thought of it. It was thought of and, in, you know, in development, there's one in development like like 10 years ago. And every time a network would look at it, they just said this is just too cost prohibitive to actually do. But thankfully, because CGI has gotten cheaper and because, uh, you know, the 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 desire to get into the streaming game and and how lucrative that is, has gotten, you know, you know, amped up so much you know, oh. now that we can finally actually have something like this. Um, Got to mention, too, that uh, Taika Waititi voiced uh, the droid, who seems like he, he was not very long f- for this world, ultimately, uh, although I assume that there'll, there'll be a million more IG droids. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I assume he's coming back. I, <laughs> I, I, I assume that that's not the last that we're seeing of, of, of that character. Can you talk a little bit about like what is kind of coming up, James? Because, um, again, you know, you've kind of talked a little bit about how there are these characters that we haven't met yet yet um you know carl weathers who appeared for just a 
quick second. I, I didn't realize he's in charge of the Bounty Hunters Guild on the show. I kind of thought he right. was just like he was the sort of local, uh, you know, local chieftain sending out deals. Um, the, the, the Bounty Hunter Guild stuff is interesting. There was various writings about that back in the 90s that I forget about, but this seems like it's kind of a fresh start. Um, how, how did you feel about the uh, the, the puck-based economy of the... <laughs> You know, it was fine. It didn't distract me. Uh, you know, I was I was into it. it. There was a thing that you said earlier about it being very kind of gray core. You know, uh, in terms gray of core. It, 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 you like that in, in terms of the visuals, and that's something I've noticed kind of creeping into the Star Wars universe uh, in general. I first kind of noticed it in sections of Rogue One and then Solo was one of the most grayest looking movies that that I've ever seen. Really? I mean, the, the, the whole whole thing thing seemed to have this kind of gray tone to it. And That's uh, interesting. And here there there seemed to be a bit of that as well. And I'm not sure the reasoning for that because you look at New Hope and Empire. I mean they pop. I mean oh, they yeah. they're, they're not they're they're not uh, you know sort of grimy and gray and and dark toned films. I mean even even Return of the Jedi, which I think filmmaking wise is kind of a step down from those two. The stuff in Jabba's palace and Jabba himself is just like you know he's you know a a, a pustule of colors kind of on screen. Um, that's funny. You know, Solo is the one movie I have not seen yet because uh, it, it kind of came out and people I knew and trusted said you might not have to watch that. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, I didn't, that does have a Game of Thrones character a, a, actor without a helmet on. That's that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. So one out of every three. I'll just throw that in there just before people on Twitter start saying it. At, at one us. out of every three <laughs> beloved Game of Thrones characters get to come up and and not wear a mask. Again, I I have to assume. Um, again, you've kind of written you've kind of written about this before, but Pedro Pascal, who you know, very interesting line readings in this first episode. I have to imagine you hire him to do some face work at at, at some point. Um, oh, and I'm, absolutely. I'm also I, kind of really I, intrigued. I, I, to, I can't imagine that he's just going to have his his helmet on the whole time. I, I just don't see that happening. Um, James, we're talking all about the Mandalorian, but I'll be honest, I think the big news in Star Wars today has nothing at all to do with the Mandalorian. <laughs> um, can you yeah. explain? Well, James, I can have a lot explain? of questions. Can anyone explain? What's, I don't think anyone can explain, Darren. Well, so so you, you mentioned the glitches with Disney+. Plus. Um, <laughs> But but there's one glitch in particular that seems to have been really purposeful. Can you can you run down what's going on with the first Star Wars movie in its new incarnation? <laughs> I mean, yeah, a classic scene in A New Hope, uh, the much, the famous and much debated Han shot first cantina scene uh, has been re-edited again. Uh, this time before Han fires, uh, Greedo now only shoots first, but also shouts. And this is real, McClunky. So McClunky. In fact, well, actually, I'm not sure whether we'd get in trouble for for playing the audio. But so, uh, so, so I, I won't do that. But yeah, it's it's everywhere, all over the internet. You will hear references to McClunky now and forever. There will be McClunky memes. Um, I mean, it is, it's just, it's just, I mean, I mean, clearly it looks like the latest attempt to kind of soften the scene where Han Solo preemptively kills Greedo. Uh, you know, they previously, uh, changed it. So, so Greedo shot first in a rather clunkily clunky edit in, in 1997 special edition. And then he misses despite being at point blank range, which, which makes no sense. Now he says this mystery word. Um, there's no subtitle, unlike the rest of the things that Greedo says to explain it. Um, 
you know, we did find this morning um, a scene in The Phantom Menace when uh, Sebula, and since you just rewatched Phantom Menace, you actually know who I'm talking about, uh, threatens young Anakin, and he uses the word, and the subtitles indicate it might mean this will be the end of you. So basically, uh, probably uh, another threat just to edge that scene even further towards Han being justified in shooting. And it, you know, does this bother me when I'm walking around during the day? No, but it, it, it is one of those things I'm firmly on the side of there was nothing wrong with it to begin with, you know, you know, even, even under, you know, the most, you know, tight application of, of like some like Florida stand your ground law, <laughs> you know, somebody pointing a weapon at you and, and threatening you and saying, you know, uh, when Han says, um, <laughs> over my dead body and Greedo goes, uh, that's the idea that makes it clear to yeah. me that he's a, he is going to kill him and that's all you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need, you know, any kind of sprinkles or, or, or sort of dessert toppings on that to kind of make that more clear to the audience what's going on. And the endless tinkering of, of that is, 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 has now gone to the point of just this new absurd level um, that I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty hilarious. I, I think you know, incredible, incredibly well said. Um, and I, I had not even heard that about the Phantom Menace. That's fascinating to hear that that was also kind of an addition. I'd love to know what kind of prompted this. It wasn't um, an, an addition. It was, it was apparently like in the original scene, it was just sort of rediscovered, you know, you but, know, but that, he that says while, the same... while he was talking, but, but it was like in the middle of a sentence. So it didn't really stand out as much, but somebody, uh, I uh, see. Okay. Found it. And yeah, it's so, uh, so, but he says the same word. He says McClunk. Yeah, McClunky. it's the same word, but in the context of like other things, <laughs> that's and so uh, that's part of the translation that's on screen. So, fascinating. so that's what it seems to mean. I mean, who knows? you know, setting aside the question of you know, did they use a, did they reuse a clip of Greedo for that? Did they? Was there was there new audio recorded? Who recorded that audio? So many questions. Um, you know, this does bring up a larger interesting thing about Star Wars in general, Disney Plus in general, the idea of, you know, we're all kind of, certainly you and I now are subscribed to this thing where some of the great works of entertainment are now housed. And it seems as if at any time they might change if they are so inclined to change it. And as I think a lot of people were discussing on social media today, you know, is this a very funny thing to add to a scene that was once cool? Yes. D does it look like something someone would do in like a funny YouTube clip? Like absolutely. This this for me is on the level of that clip that used to uh, surface all the time of um, Darth Vader being a uh, uh, Darth Vader being rude in Empire Strikes Back and just opening and closing his his throne. Like it's like it, it looks <laughs> right. like it looks like that quality of editing. Um, but I, right. I don't know. It's just it's funny to think of there coming a time probably. In our lifetime where it may be a somewhat regular thing to open these movies in, uh, you know, our, 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 our Disney plus brain implant and see a very different movie than uh, we remember. Um, that's, but I have to say it's, just, it's very entertaining. I've watched the clip 10,000 times. Already. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because I was recently uh, talking to Martin Scorsese for the Irishman. Name and of course, you know, Scor you know, Scorsese is currently, you know, embroiled in the whole thing uh, where he, you know, <laughs> called Marvel movies, not cinema. And that had all the Marvel people, you know, you know, you know, politely slamming, you know, Scorsese for, for that. Um, so, so it's interesting that, that he's the person that I'm citing on this because he it was, I asked him, 
about how Quentin Tarantino released an extended version of Hateful Eight on Netflix and whether he has any interest in re-releasing any of his classics in longer form on the streaming service now that he's his movie The Irishman is coming to the streaming service. And he went off. It was great. He was just like, no, 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 no. You know, that basically that that the movie you release that is the director's cut that is the final version and the only reason to ever change anything is if you're in a the rare situation of a studio taking away your movie from you as part of some di- dispute we, which which is, you know happens occasionally over the years um where the studio will, will take a movie away from a director and recut it because they they don't like what what they're doing but but that but that's a very rare thing to, to happen so so, so his, his point is, yes, there are all these things that happen during the filmmaking process that you might not like and you, and you might wish you had done differently and, you know, weren't ideal at the time. But the movie sort of stands as, as a document to the best that you could do at that time. And, and that's what a, what a movie is. Um, and now, you know, of course, we're in this, this, this mode of, of where we can change that and and we can do different things with it. And, you know, I, I guess I kind of fall a little bit in, in the purest, you know, you know, you know, you know, camp, you know, in terms of wanting to keep things the same, but at the same time, when it comes to movies that I really love, you know, I am always kind of curious to see, like there are a few scenes that, that Stanley Kubrick cut out of the shining, and oh man, like the hospital scenes, the hospital yes, scenes, the hospital scene. <laughs> and, and his decisions were, were correct. And, but I would love to see, uh, th- those, those scenes, you know, yeah. and, and, and Kubrick being, you know, even more hardcore that, than Scorsese, you know, he ordered, you know, all copies of those scenes destroyed and only a couple photos now exist. Well, and it's like any, it's like anything else where, you know, you, you, you make a rule for yourself and you say like, this is what I think. And then again, like, in, in my case, uh, I, I finally watched the, the David Lynch, uh, the missing pieces edition of his twin peaks movie, which is just like a roll of deleted scenes from his movie, mm-hmm. uh, which was, which I finally saw, uh, back in twenty seven. And like, I think that's some of the best David Lynch material I've ever seen. So yeah, it's like, you know, you don't necessarily do a hard and fast rule and say this is and is not, um, you know, something I'm interested in. But to me, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting, you know, in the context of Star Wars, especially, which is now this living, breathing universe, we have these kind of two strands that this show will be looking at, um, you know, the movie that's coming up, the TV series that's ongoing, more TV series that are coming up that are set kind of all up and down the continuum. Um, to a certain extent, I mean, the work of these TV series is historical revision insofar as it's like we're spending more time with characters at this point in the timeline. And, you know, I think that can be interesting. Um, it, it is weird to me how with Star Wars now, people seem way more open to the idea of prequels than they did uh, 17 years ago. But, um, you know, it, the idea that while they're doing that on a narrative level, you also have things that just keep changing. Um, you know, you, I, I would hope that any more changes they do to uh, the original movies or to the prequels will be a little less noticeable <laughs> than the Greedo thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, though at the same time, I'm about to contradict myself a bit because when it comes to change, I love movies. it. I, they're, you know, I'm really contradicting myself here, but many of the changes that were made in the original trilogy, I actually like, and those are the ones that you don't notice. You know, those are the things that are like, 
you know, how they when like there's one shot when they're running through Cloud City and they they added things out, you know out the windows that 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 they weren't able to do oh. or, and, 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 and 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 some of the shots when they're when they're you know flying around the X wings just kind of look better in terms of the planets in the background. In other words, there's a lot of subtle backgroundy things that aren't you know. Uh, animals like like vying for your attention you know they're, they're jumping around on 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 one foot um that there's there's a lot of you know subtle tweaks to 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 the special effects and and the backgrounds that uh that i don't mind oh see this is this, viewer, is this so. is where this is where we yeah. part ways james i prefer bespin yeah. I, I, bespin when it's just all white walls is is my dream version of bespin had a had a certain malibu rehab vibe to it that i realized i i really enjoyed as as, Darren, <laughs> as a young Darren, person <laughs> i have spoken <laughs> It holds. It holds. It's as simple as that. <laughs> no, no, that that's that, that's that that's another thing from the episode I've been meaning to, to reference. Uh, uh, Nick Nolte's character who who just ends conversations by 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 uttering the words "I have spoken." I think that's my new favorite reply. You, you know, when somebody tr- tries to continue a conversation after I've said something, it's just be like, "I have spoken." My new favorite thing to say is, "I don't write a blurg," um, w- which was said in, in that same uh, Nick Nolte part of the episode, which we which we didn't discuss for a reason. Um, James, <laughs> we're kind of wrapping up this week, but I do want to point people to all the great reporting you've done on The Mandalorian already, um, and especially in your um, original feature, um, just a lot of great information from the cast, great information from the showrunners. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody who's very skeptical of the show after the first episode, but everything they're saying about it and where it's going, you know, as a TV critic, um, you know, I, I kind of prefer reviewing a show after seeing a few episodes. That wasn't possible with this one because we didn't get screeners in advance, but it's one that I will be following along certainly uh, following along um, with you. Uh, is there anything else that uh, people should be, uh, people should kind of know about the Mandalorian um, uh, coming up? Cause we are in a major star Wars, uh, <laughs> star Wars period right now between Mandalorian and rise, rise of Skywalker coming out next month. Yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think it's important to point out the, you know, that uh, what we're doing with this podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about various uh, things in the Star Wars universe, um, including uh, some rewatches of uh, a couple classic titles from the original trilogy and the prequels, uh, and 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 the Disney trilogy. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, you know, the Rise of Skywalker when that comes out. Yeah, and you know our goal with this podcast, we're calling it Untold Stories. Uh, that's partially because James is going to be referring to his awesome reporting from within the Star Wars galaxy, far, far away, and it's also because. Um, you know, we are hoping with rewatches, we're hoping with kind of close examinations of uh, the new TV series, the new movie, um, and, and beyond uh, to kind of delve into one of the fun things about Star Wars and all its incarnations. And, you know, I'm not somebody who loves everything about Star Wars, but this has from the start, from the Moss Eisley Cantina onwards, felt like a universe where there's a million interesting stories. Um, and I feel like the inclination of The Mandalorian, I know this because, James, you discussed this with show editor John Favre is to kind of do exactly that. Um, and I just find that to be really interesting. And I'm hoping that this will be a space where we can have some exciting conversations about Star Wars. And we do want to hear from everybody out there. Um, you know, you can tweet at us. James is on Twitter. He's at James Hibbard. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Darren Franich. Um, you can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts um, and uh, where you do. Give us a rating and, and, and give us a review. Um, we'd love to hear from you. There's a million places that cover Star Wars and a million places that talk about Star Wars. And we really want to make this a, a 
a cool spot to come and discuss all things to do uh, w- w- with the franchise. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday. Um, next week, we're, we're going to be discussing The Empire Strikes Back. Still, I think, the best Star Wars movie. I don't think that's particularly disputable, but I'd love to hear people dispute it um, because I love hearing all kinds of opinions, uh, even if I radically disagree with them. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about a little scene where a man tells a boy that he is his father. Come back next Thursday. Till n- until then, I have spoken. 